Flags, lasses, punting masses, welcome, welcome. It's AFL round two time, and today we had a couple of wins. Okay, a small win on the Oscars with the best film editing for June. We had four uh, uh, award nominations up. We won the one. Uh, we won the golf today with Scotty Scheffler, $21.06 in the match play. And while the Oscars, I went for a little bit of a grandpa nap for about an hour or so, got up and found out that there'd been a punch on at the Oscars. <laughs> Oh, yes, Will Smith got into it with Chris Rock. Now, a lot of people in the mainstream media are saying that, uh, well, Chris Rock made a bad joke about uh, uh, Will Smith's wife, Jada Smith, and her apparently her hair falling out, such a thing. This, ladies and gentlemen, has been brewing in the wind for about three years now, really, ever since... Will Smith never got nominated for an Oscar for the movie Concussion and Jada Smith decided she was going to boycott the Oscars as a result due to the fact that uh, she reckoned that Will Smith was black and being left out. Will Smith joined in with Jada Smith claiming because he was black he was being left out and it was an all white boys club sort of thing going on over there. And Chris Rock was hosting, coincidentally. He's black, by the way. He decided he wasn't going to join in on the party on the boycott. No. From memory, Chris Rock was basically saying all his friends were sitting there in his home saying, gee, why aren't you joining in the boycott? And, of course, Chris Rock would say most of his friends didn't have to do work, didn't work for a living, complaining how bad things were, like Will Smith and Jada Smith. And Chris Rock just turned around and says... Boys, I got bills to pay. That's why I'm here. I'm not getting involved in any of this cancel culture and neither should anybody else. Lo and behold, three years later, suddenly Will Smith's got a nomination for an award. Coincidentally, it was a movie based on uh, Richard Williams and the Williams sisters and didn't he live up as a tribute to Serena Williams by getting his, uh, his anger out on a minority person? Uh, over in America, much like Serena at the US Open, as we all know the troubles she's had. So to Will Smith, I say to you... Get out of here! I told you that bitch crazy! Oh yeah, he's a crazy man, that Will Smith. Now we're going to get on to some football. And the news coming out of this week has to be the reaction from last week's uh, case against West Coast Eagles' Willie Rioli. Now, the mainstream sports media and, of course, the football armchair experts that are Twitter, of course, had a field day with the Willie Rioli case. Uh, got the one-week suspension. Pretty stupid, really. It was. Went to appeal and got off. Pure and simple. Did the MRO get it wrong? Of course they got it wrong. Absolutely, they got it wrong. Did the media and the, and, the, and the people get it wrong? Of course, they got it wrong. You're suspending a guy now for going in a marking contest. That's what it is. You're now going to suspend people for going in a marking contest. But that's not the context of why this Willie Rioli case sort of come up. There's several reasons why this R Willie Rioli vitriol has come up. Firstly... 
Willie Rioli's first game back from two years for a drug suspension. Granted, stupid thing he did. Swapped a urine sample for like a bottle of, I don't know, energy drink. Oh, goodness knows what the drug people thought was in the energy drink. I'd hate to see the results of that. They were published. I wish they were. Got a two-year suspension. Fair enough. Good and proper. So be it. Came back. First game. And didn't the Twitterverse in this part of the world on the East Coast give it to him? Yes, East Coast bias in the Twitter world is part of it, ladies and gentlemen. And, and let's just say this. that's those people who barrack for the teams on this part of the world here in Victoria better be careful who they point the fingers at considering it is common knowledge that Essendon were not the only team to be involved in that drug saga from about six or seven years ago yes the rest of the five teams were swept under the rug they would be the Hawthorns, the Geelongs, the Collingwoods ah yes a decade's worth of premierships would have been wiped off and the whole competition ruined if the full story had it came out except that one little guy from Asada, his ego got bent out of shape and they decided they were going to push through on Essendon no matter what. Second, this is racial. Absolutely nothing to do with the fact of the matter of this is absolutely racial. And I'll tell you why this is racial. They tried to gun for him this week. The media accused him of knocking out Daniel, uh, I can't think what his name, Eunice Uniaki, Wilson Uniaki, is that his name, from the Kangaroos? Some unknown player that I don't even know what his name is. When he tackled him, and apparently the accusations from the media and the Twitterverse is that he drove Uniaki's head into the Marvel Stadium turf. Now, we all know Marvel Stadium is concrete, basically, just with a painted green to make it look like it's grass. And the replay I saw this morning, because I had to write up for this week's round two games, the replay I saw this morning, I could not believe what I saw this morning. Shoulder first, the tackle was into the ground. Now, I don't know the result, whether he got suspended, whether he got a fine. I haven't even looked at that. It wouldn't shock me if he did, really, due to the vitriol of the mainstream football media and the Twitterverse. But that was a shoulder-first tackle, and he wasn't even knocked out to begin with. He actually did a shoulder to Uniaki, I believe. It was bent out of shape in a fair tackle. The commentators call it a fair tackle when the tackle happened. The replay, they call it a fair tackle. The tackle happened. That just happens in football. Yes, people. People get bumped in the head in a marking contest in football accidentally when you're going for the ball. When you're tackling someone, which is what you're supposed to do, and mind you, Uniaki took five years to get rid of it to begin with, you get tackled and you risk yourself getting hurt. That's football. You can't change it. The only people who, who should have changed it, the rule makers made it this way by trying to make the, the game more of a spectacle. They decided to ruin this. Over the last 20 years, 
the game has been ruined by league rule changes and public pushing for rule changes to make the game a spectacle. 666 rule that we've got. Trying to make it more of a spectacle. It's failed. Make the goal square bigger. bigger. It's failed. Make the man stand on the mark and play on. We don't move. It's failed. Everything that they've tried for the last 20 years has failed. Now look at Andrew Cracker when he came back and played for Collingwood. Let's look at the difference. One, Andrew Cracker came back and played for a Victorian team, probably and arguably one of the most Victorian, most popular teams in the Australian Football League. Two, Andrew Cracker wasn't uh, away from the game on a two-year drug suspension. Andrew Cracker was serving a jail sentence for murdering someone. He came back and was welcomed with open arms by all the mainstream media and the people. Why? Because he played for one of the most popular teams in the Australian Football League. That's why. And let me tell you something else that's what happens in this league. Look at Hawthorne. Hawthorne a two-zip, sitting second, I believe, on the AFL ladder right now. <clears throat> Why are they sitting second and the media and all the Twitterverse wrote them off? Sam Mitchells came in and, and wound back that game plan 20 years ago. He's wound back the game 20 years and he is beating the modern game. He beat the modern game of Port Adelaide by 64 points over in Adelaide. What's the 90s game plan that Sam Mitchells brought in? He's, he's exploited the 666 rule by putting the extra ruckman down in defence. They have minimal use of the ball and kicking it to open spaces. He's brought in Mitchell's Meadow. Not Pagan's Paddock. He's brought in Mitchell's Meadow. And the Hawthorne forwards are absolutely killing the opposition. And Carlton's going to feel that this week. And by gee, Sunday's game is going to be absolutely entertaining because it's going to be two... Enter actually entertaining game styles pitted up against another. Both probably of the same era. Michael Voss and Sam Mitchell. Opposition coaches coaching two teams that have got probably, I haven't really looked at Carlton's game style, but Carlton look quick, Carlton look sharp as well, and that's going to be a great game to watch, spectacle-wise which is about time. And that's what we need in this league. And you want to know why we need this in this league? The other talking point is the crowds. The crowd attendance this week of 245,961 is the lowest round two crowd attendance since 2003 when there was 234,888 for only eight games. We had 11,000 more people with an extra game. 8,000 of those only went and saw Gold Coast and Melbourne on Saturday night for Gold Coast's opening round clash against Melbourne at Metricon Stadium. 14,000 people, I believe, saw the North Melbourne and West Coast game and there was only 24,000 from memory at the Collingwood and Adelaide game. Experts have tried to make excuses for the lack of crowd. One 
industry expert on Twitter is blaming round one for this. For I don't know how he got an explanation of blaming round one for this, but his explanation is usually Geelong and Hawthorne play in round one on the Monday. No, they don't. They play Easter Monday. If it falls in round one, it falls in round one. If it falls in round two, three, four, five, it falls on the Easter Monday. There's no excuse for that at all. He's also blaming Richmond's performance on the Thursday against Carlton. Now, seriously, 18 of the 25 goals were kicked down the one end, so that was that looked like that was going to be inevitable between Carlton and Richmond. Richmond were placed yesterday on the Sunday game against GWS, and of course, every man and his dog wrote them off. We had Carlton, uh, Richmond, sorry, at one dollar ninety-one. We did. We had a ten-dollar free bet thanks to Bet Three Six Five. Cleaned up on that easy. It was a five-six goal win. So the only thing I can think of is one thing that always pops up every single year this time of year, and that is in the state of Victoria and in this part of the world, farm world rules. Yes, Farm World, which is new, you know, used to be called the Field Days out at Lardner Park, drew massive crowds. And from what I was told this morning by businesses in this town, the Farm World drew a huge crowd on the Friday and Saturday night, and especially the Saturday night when they had the rodeo for the first time at Lardner Park. Huge crowd. In fact, the numbers are going to show that there's going to be more than the 245-odd thousand people that I just read to you for the whole of Australia for nine games of football congregating to a town with about 37,000 people. Farm World always ruled and destroyed the AFL crowds uh, every single year. Every single year. And it always will. In fact, the crowd numbers were down 117,000 in round one, while the TV rating numbers around the country were up 114,000. TV ratings went up 18,000 per game on average over round one. But the numbers were good, but the outcomes of those weren't too great. We're going to get to those for you shortly, but first... The Bulldogs, 13-12-90 to Carlton, 16-6-102. For the Bulldogs, Bontempelli, 8 tackles. McRae, 8 inside 50s. For Carlton, Kernow, 5 goals and Cripps, 11 clearances. I had Bailey Dale in the Dream Team, and both of our Dream Teams got absolutely decimated this week due to injuries and the dreaded uh, COVID for West Coast, and they only had like 12 players absolutely available. Coronavirus! So that's got absolutely decimated there. Bailey Dale, 75. The Golden Mop, Sam Walsh, 34 disposals, 9 clangers, 0 4 free kicks. Ed Richards, 15 disposals, 6 clangers, 0 3 free kicks. Mitch McGovern, 13 disposals, 5 clangers. I don't know what happened in his case. I'll have to look them up shortly. Sydney, 17-5-107, and Buddy Franklin's 1,000th goal, and the game was delayed for over half an hour. Ridiculous. Geelong, 10-17-77. For Sydney, Mills start again, 29 disposals. The better half had him in the dream team. We'll get to him later. <coughs> Pardon me. Heaney, five goals. 
for Geelong, Selwood, seven inside 50s, and Stewart, 10 rebound 50s. I had Oliver Florent, who flopped this week, and we're going to try and get rid of him for someone better, 46. For the better half, Callum Mills, she got one there, 117. Tom Hickey, 49, not as good as last week, but Lance Franklin, 73. Now, he's got his thousandth. Will he go on? You'll never know. In fact, Tom Hickey was so bad, he got in the golden mop as the most overrated player on the field. 16 disposals, 8 clangers, 2-6 on the free kick count. Joel Selwood, 25 disposals, 7 clangers, 2-4 on the free kick count. And Max Holmes, 10 disposals, 5 clangers, and 0-2 on the free kick count. Collingwood, 15-10-100, Adelaide, 8-10-58. For Collingwood, crisp 10 tackles, and Adelaide, keys, 37 disposals. Now, people will probably sit there and wonder why we are doing the most overrated player instead of like the Brownlow medal. One, the Brownlow medal is overrated. It has been for a decade, probably more than that. It's a midfielder's medal now. Two, Ben Keyes won the most overrated player last year. He won it with probably two rounds to go. Look at him this year. Look at the improvement he has got in it this year. And that's the idea of the most overrated player. I believe two of the top three from memory, that would be Ben Keyes and Christian Petrarca, have come on in leaps and bounds so far this year in the two rounds, and we're going to get to Petrarca later. Ben Keyes is absolutely starred, basically mistake-free, in two games of football so far for a team like Adelaide. Well done to the young man. For myself and the Dream Team, Brody Grundy, 82, and Ned McHenry, 43, in the better half. Jordan Degoe, 88. He started off very slow. We both had Nick Dacos on 73. I'm seen to be picking up... Well, we seem to be picking up these players. Nick, Ned McHenry was the worst on the ground. 12 disposals, 7 clangers, 1-3 on the free kick count. Taylor Adams is a serial uh, nominee here. 16 disposals, 7 clangers, 1-3 on the free kick count. Jordan Dawson, 28 disposals, 7 clangers, 0-3 on the free kick count. Essendon, 10-15-75. Brisbane, 15-7-97. Good kicking wins games. For Brisbane, Neil, 41 disposals, 12 clearances. Rich, 9 rebound 50s. And for Essendon, Parrish, 10 inside 50s. I had Jaron Lyons on 83. And the better half had Dyson Heppel, who had 59 and Peter Wright, 103, did very well. Darcy Parrish may have got his 10 inside 50s, but basically 35 disposals, 8 clangers, 1-3 on the free kick count. You can rack up the stat sheet, but it doesn't mean you're any good. Worst on ground. James Stewart, 7 disposals, 7 clangers, 0-3 free kicks. Zach Bailey, 15 disposals, 6 clangers, 0-3 free kick count. Port Adelaide, 7-14-56. We talked about them earlier. Hawthorne, 19-6-120. This is another team that racked it up. Here we go. Boak, 39 disposals, 7 inside 50s, 11 clearances. Eamon, 8 marks and Butters, 11 tackles. While for Hawthorne, Lewis got 5 goals. I had Tom Mitchell and the Dream Team on 98. The better half had Dan Houston, more than half. He had 150 last week. He was reduced to 71 Ryan Burton, 63. We both had Sam Skinner, who didn't play last week. Thank God he did this week. Cause it was an extra 33 bonus points we got from all the, the decimation that we've had in both teams. Ollie Wines, the worst on ground last year's Brownlow medal winner and probably arguably top five last year. 
36 disposals, 7 clangers. Connor Rosie, 13 disposals, 6 clangers. Mitch Joy, Gio, Gio Giardis, good grief. 15 disposals, 5 clangers, 0-2 on the free kicks. And Kane Corns reckons Mitch Giardis was the best forward that they had. I'll repeat that again. 13 disposals, 5 clangers, 0-2 on the free kicks. Now remember there was no Charlie Dixon, no Robbie Gray, and I believe they were missing 2 or 3 in defence as well, so they've been decimated, but Hawthorne's game plan is brilliant. <clears throat> A little over 8,000 people saw the Gold Coast. 10-9-69 to Melbourne, 12-10-82 for Melbourne. Petrarca, we just mentioned him a couple of minutes ago. 40 disposals, 40, 14 inside 50s. Oliver, 13 clearances. Neil Bullen, 9 tackles. Bowie, 2-0 on the free kick count. They dominated. Dominated, but just couldn't get it done on the scoreboard. Clayton Oliver, 120 I had. Max Gorn, 79. And Matt Rowell, only 46 this week. The better half had Jack Lacocious, who only had 48. It shows you how bad the Gold Coast were, but somehow stayed in it. In fact, Matt Rowell was the worst on ground, the most overrated. Nine in disposals, eight clangers, one five on the free kick count. Braden Fiorini, 25 disposals, eight clangers, and Jack Viney, 23 disposals and seven clangers. Rocking up onto Sunday. And it was also and back to opposition Sunday, mind you. The upset's coming, but not in this one, but the result was a stunner. North Melbourne 10-14-74, West Coast 8-11-50. They beat them by 15 points at home when West Coast only had 12 fit players available. North Melbourne, Larky 6 goals and 3-0 on the free kicks. Got some love. Zeeble 14 marks. Greenwood 10 tackles, 9 clearances. We both had Jason Horn francis on 78 and every West Coast player we had was decimated. Tim Kelly was the most overrated. 18 disposals and 8 clangers. Luke Foley, 14 disposals, 6 clangers, 0-4 in the free kick count. He hits the lead. And Willie Rioli, 18 disposals, 6 clangers, 1-3 free kicks. Yes, Luke Foley's broken away from the huge pack. We're going to get to that later on. Richmond, 16-13-109, upset GWS and upset the media and pundits alike who wrote them off. 10-13-73 for Richmond. Bolt of four goals. Cochin, eight tackles. The Cochin of old. Nan Curvis, 21 hitouts. Short 11 rebound 50s. For GWS, Green, 34 disposals, six clearances, was the only one who turned up. Lockie Whitfield at 88. And for the better half, Josh Kelly, 104. Jack, Jake Riccardi, 14 disposals, five clangers, was the most overrated Toby Nankervis, 15 disposals, 5 clangers, and Shea Bolton, or Shea Bolton, sorry, 17 disposals, 5 clangers, and 0-3 free kicks, and what basically was a bruise-free football that performed by both teams. Fremantle, 8-7-55 to St Kilda, 9-11-65, and a low-scoring bore fest. Fremantle, Brayshaw, 40 disposals, 5 zip on the free kicks if you don't mind. Ryan, 8 rebound 50s. St Kilda, steal 13 tackles. And Gresham, 8 inside 50s. I had Bradley Hill on 94 and Max King on 68. That was it. For the most overrated, Brad Crouch is back. 29 disposals, 9 clangers. Jack Gresham, 25 disposals, 7 clangers. Blake Akers, who used to play for St Kilda, ironically. 25 disposals and 7 clangers. 
The Golden Mop. Okay, we'll do that first. Luke Foley on West Coast has four votes. He's in the lead after round two. 18 players on three votes. It's a log jam already. 18 players on three votes. That's the 18 games and 18 players have been voted. 18 separate players have been voted worst on ground. Let's go to the TV. Let's <coughs> clear the throat again. Ratings. Western Bulldogs and Carlton, 100 and... Oh, so let me just move this little thing around so I can actually see. 401,000 on Channel 7, rated number 9. 214,000 on Foxtel was rated number 1 for Thursday night. Sydney and Geelong, 543,000 on Channel 7 was rated number 6. 238,000 on Foxtel was number 3. Now, even the ratings for Thursday night aren't working. That Thursday night game was the lowest, well, the equal lowest rated free-to-air game. It gets worse. Geelong and, uh, Geelong, uh, Geelong, Collingwood versus Adelaide on Foxtel. 155,000 was ranked number 10. Essendon and Brisbane on Foxtel, 182,000 was rated number 5. Port Adelaide versus Hawthorne on Channel 7, 348,000 rated number 6. So it didn't get any better than the Sydney and Geelong game. And that was with nearly 195,000 less people still rated number 6. And on Foxtel, 160,000 people rated number 9 for the day. Gold Coast versus Melbourne on Foxtel. Good grief. 79,000 people rated number 16. The Supercars beat the uh, Gold Coast and Melbourne game. The Supercars, would you believe? North Melbourne versus West Coast on Foxtel. 108,000 was ranked number 7. Richmond versus GWS on Channel 7, 330,000 in the afternoon was ranked number 9. That's 18,000 less than the Port Adelaide Hawthorne game on a Saturday night. And on Foxtel, 154,000 was ranked number 5. And Fremantle and St Kilda on Foxtel, 161,000 ranked number 4. It actually beat... Richmond and GWS, but of course, free-to-air. Everybody supports free-to-air. Uh, you have to watch free-to-air instead of Foxtel, in my opinion, because you watch free-to-air, you're supporting local business, and that's what you want to do in this country. <coughs> Pardon me again. <coughs> People like Albo have all of a sudden realised that an issue is cost of living, he can say that Scott Morrison realises that cost of living is all of a sudden an issue. Well, let me tell you, back in my day when I was working and I could go to the bank on the weekend, rip out $100, go to a nightclub and forget what we did that night and for the next day, now for 50 bucks, that's an entry fee for two people and one drink. So don't give me about you've just both realised something about the cost of living besides the fact that you both support the wrong horse in a bloody war right now. Channel 7's average, 588,000. Foxtel's average, 340,000. And the league average over two rounds, 732,000 viewers. 588,000 average on free-to-air. That's pretty good right now for two rounds. 
Okay, sports and racing. Last week we mentioned sports and racing was down 44.7%. This week it's only down 13.3% with three days to go. And our 2021-22 financial year is plus 3.2% ROI. Again, that's with Scotty Scheffler, 21 and 6, winning the WGCA match play. And June, getting $1.90 for the best film editing. It won six awards. The other awards were too short to back. If you're logged, uh, subscribed to Patreon, you would have seen all the details of the prices of the other six awards all the other five awards that it did win. The other three awards that we had were at odds of $455.67. And of course, it didn't win Best Picture. That went to Coda. So that was never going to win Best Picture. Six awards for June and didn't win Best Picture. So it didn't crack the eight that I believe it was Cabaret in 1972. Cabaret, 1972, won eight awards and did not win Best Picture. That went to The Godfather in 1972. Also, we've got futures. The MLB futures and win totals are coming soon. We've got to write that up during the week because it starts in less than two weeks. If you want to see the over and unders for this uh, week, it's on our Facebook page at Better and the Better Half. If you want to see the preseason bets, you have to log uh, subscribe to our Patreon page, Better and the Better Half, which also includes the rugby league preseason bets for the win totals uh, and games that we find, etc., etc. So we'll see what we can do, and that also includes the futures for the week that we bet on in the NBA, the NHL. And of course, the MLB is coming up. That's Better and the Better Half on Patreon. Uh, we're on Facebook, Better and the Better Half. Instagram at Better and the Better Half. And Twitter on Better Half. Thank you for listening. We should be back next week with this. There's a lot of things going on this week. It's been very, very busy family life and work life, trying to get things done and hustle, hustle, hustle. And uh, you cannot fail in this country if you work hard. You're going to whinge about billionaires having all the money and you don't want to do anything about it except sit on a keyboard. There is no excuse that you cannot succeed in this country. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon here on Better and the Better Halves podcast. (laughs) 